Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. How are you guys all doing? All right, good. Welcome everyone joining us online. Thrilled that you're with us. I'm excited as we continue in our Advent series. But before we hop into that, two things I just want to highlight for you is uh, anyone excited Christmas is coming up this year or this week? This year. Yeah, this week. Some of you are excited. I can't believe it's like just right around the corner. But our Christmas Eve services, uh, our first one is Thursday and we got three on, fri- on Friday. And here's my question for you. Who are you bringing? You're like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Uh, think about that and fill in that blank of who, at least who are you going to invite? We know this statistically is that uh, most people are most receptive to an invitation to church at Christmas and Easter. Those two times. It's kind of, I call them gimme Sundays. So if you want a gimme opportunity of when you could invite that person who you're like, I've always wanted to invite them to church, now's the time. And so uh, just make an invitation. Let them know what service you're attending. Invite them to come and join you. Uh, The second part of that would be if you're able to serve, so come to a service, but also serve at a service, we would really appreciate your help. We have about 50 spots that we still need filled for us to, I would say, host to the, to the max. And that's how we will like to host people is to the max. We want to do it really, really well. And so if you're able to serve at one of our services or multiple services, um, yeah, drop the word serve in the chat. Swing by next steps before you leave. But we would love to have your help. And if you're like, well, I'm traveling, I can't. That's not an excuse because we can always use people digitally serving as well. <gasps> no excuses? What? I know. So we'd love to have you. Uh, the other thing. Okay, so that's this week. I'm excited to see you all and everyone who you bring to our Christmas Eve services. Also, if you walked in this way on this side over here, you probably saw that the God experiment uh, is finally in. Yay! If you don't know what I'm talking about, here's a little video just to kind of like remind us what we're doing. Ever imagine? Like, how would you even go about discovering all of who he is? See, whether you're a believer in God or a non believer, the skeptic or the seeker, the God experiment is your 12 week guide to exploring the extreme nature of God and discovering all of who he is and what he has for you in your life. You know, you owe it to God, and quite frankly, you owe it to yourself to give him a fair shake at showing up and showing off in your life. I want to invite you grab a copy of the book and grab some of your friends and hop onto the most amazing journey and experiment in discovering God in a whole new way. Join us in the God Experiment. It is here, and I'm excited that it's finally here. Uh, And so here's the deal. If you're like, the the whole book, it's, it's written with this idea of let's just take attributes of who God is and who he says about us, and let's just take it to the extreme, and let's look for God to show up and show off in our lives. And so it's for the mature believer and even for the non-believer. And so if you've got friends who are like, man, I'd love for them to just, if, if I'd love for God to be able to show up in their life and for them to actually be able to experience him, it's for them. You should buy them a copy and just say, hey, let's read this book together. It's a 12-week deal, and well, let's just see how God shows up. If you're a mature believer and you've got other uh, mature-believing friends, it would be same thing. Circle them up, and uh, let's see how God shows up in your life. So uh, as you leave here today, make sure to get a copy. I know Kindle already has a copy out there. We're trying to get it on Amazon, so you can just you know, click and buy your own copy out there. That's not yet up, but as soon as we get it up, you know, 
we're working toward that. But you can grab a copy today. I would highly encourage you, this is not one of those books where I would say, you know, buy one for you as a couple if you have a spouse. Don't do that. Buy one for each of you, and here's the why. Um, it's, go back to high school, middle school. Remember doing experiments? You would like... Uh, you're, you'd write a hypothesis, and then you'd kind of journal or write notes of like what uh, you saw or what you observed. This entire uh, journey is designed to be done individually. So it's like you're, it's designed for you to kind of write some thoughts of where you think God might show up, even if it's one sentence, and then where you saw God show up. Um, and, and that's an individual journey. So if I could encourage you, it'd be get you a copy and then uh, get some for your friends as well. So make sure to grab those before you leave here today. Cool? I'm glad they're in. Yay. Okay. All right. So now today we continue in this Advent series, which we're doing with like 20 other churches in our county here. I met with all these senior pastors this past week, and it was cool as we're just talking about Advent and talking about joy and uh, just to know we're all doing it collectively. But I, I love what the, what the band just was, the song that they just uh, sang there at the end. And sometimes we sing lyrics and we don't even think about what we're singing. You ever, does that ever happen where you're like, you're singing a song and sometimes you're like, oh, I shouldn't have been singing that song. Yeah, you get that? Uh, well, this is one of those where it's like, oh, this was really good you were singing that song, but maybe you didn't even catch what you, you were singing. The lyrics in there was, choose joy. Choose joy. Not meander into joy. Not experience joy. Choose joy. Is, is it possible that joy is a choice? And not just something you experience by, oh, this was a wonderful, joyous experience, but it's something that I can actually choose. And I want to argue it is. Uh, when we think about joy, a lot of times we think of kind of just good cheer or vibrant happiness. And I think it's that, but I think it's actually fuller than that, at least the kingdom uh, perspective of joy. It's, it, it's deep-rooted. It's inspired. I would say God-inspired Yes, happiness or inspired happiness upon the soul that impacts us in different ways. A lot of times when we think about joy, we probably think about joy through the lens of life experiences that seem to overwhelm us with happiness. The birth of a child, on your wedding day, starting the job, moving into the new house, getting uh, the promotion, um, shooting the winning shot in a game, the whole team, you know, winning, uh, uh, coming back and overcoming. Maybe it's uh, scoring the contract. It, it was maybe these moments that you're like, this was so meaningful and brought such joy to my life. And I think that's, yes, that's part of joy, but I think there's even more to it. Uh, but I do think it seems fitting that at the birth of Christ, Advent, the coming, which is what Advent means, there would, it would cause joy. So check this out in Luke chapter 2, we see it. it starts, uh, we're going to pick it up here in verse 7. And she, this is Mary, gave birth to her firstborn, a son, Jesus, obviously. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great what? Isn't it interesting? The angels, they're making this first declaration. Don't be afraid. We've got some good news, and here's what it's going to cause. It's going to cause great joy. For who? For all the people. For everyone. There's going to be the, the arrival of Christ. This is good news that will cause great joy. For all the people, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. 
He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, why is the coming of Christ, or how does the coming of Christ cause great joy to all of mankind? Well, really, that last verse, verse 11, answers that. When it says, because there's a Savior. This is why. He's the Savior that's been born. He's the Messiah. Messiah literally means anointed one. It means Savior. And, and so, here's the deal. The reason why it's joyous is because humanity needed saving. A permanent form of saving. See, God had made a way, even in the Old Testament, for this broken relationship between God and man to be temporarily satisfied or temporarily taken care of. And it was through the sacrificial system. So people would bring animals, and the animal would die in the place of, uh, or for their sin, but it was only temporary. Anyone bring a lamb to sacrifice today? Oh, no one? No, the reason why is because there was really good news that Jesus came and he was the final sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, that lays down his life for yours and my sin to make our, a, a way for us to have a restored relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus. And that brings joy. Now, I don't think we get it as, as well as perhaps Old Testament, you know, those living in the Old Testament who literally were in the daily and weekly habit of, all right, let's drag the animal. You know, we don't do that. And, and I'm telling you, there would have been such a, a weightiness upon the people of the day to be like, man, I've always got to stay on top of this thing to make sure God and I are right. And, and Jesus is like, I will make a permanent way so that you and God can have a right relationship and have a restored relationship. That is worthy of joy, a great joy for all of us. So there's this, there's this joy for all people that's coming because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He came as the Savior. But then I want to make the argument that Jesus models the power of joy in the life of an individual that maybe most of us haven't really thought of or, or experienced, and so how it's meant to be a part of our lives. And so I want to read just two verses to you, or two sets of verses, and then hopefully get some insights out of these and, and talk them through. So first one, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me read it again. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He's talking about living your lives all out. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the what? The joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, being Christ, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, both of these are in written, really, they're in the context of grief, opposition, or difficulty. In that first one, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is, our, is your strength. Um, and then in this second verse in, in Hebrews, it's very, you know, it's very obvious that there's opposition. Christ is uh, coming again, uh, up to the cross um, so that you and I will not grow weary and lose heart. Growing weary and lose, losing heart happens in the, the context of opposition or, or difficulty. And so here's the deal. It's interesting that joy is the centerpiece or the highlighted element or aspect in both of these contexts. Because, as I said earlier, so often we think of joy in the context of these kind of natural highlight moments of our lives, right? We don't often think of joys, joy in the trials of our lives. 
right? We just don't. And yet in these verses, he's making joy the centerpiece of the trial, of the thing that actually kind of guides us through, leads us through the, tr- the trial, that joy is critical in those moments. In the Hebrew passage, what's, the, what's Christ's motivator that leads him through the cross? It's joy. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, right? So joy is the thing that propels Jesus through the most horrific moment in his entire earthly life, the cross. Now question, do you think Jesus really had joy in the moments surrounding the cross? Don't answer it. Because I really wrestled through this this week. Quite a bit. Just going, do, do I think Jesus actually experienced joy in the moments surrounding the cross? And I've gone back and forth, okay? So just me being very honest. But reading scripture and just kind of anchoring my heart in the word of God, I keep coming to the place that I think the answer, and I'm just going to say think. I'm not going to die for, it, for my answer, but I'm going to tell you my answer. I think the answer is yes. I think he experienced kingdom joy. And here's what I mean by that. It just takes on a different expression in the most difficult moments of your life. Kingdom joy seems to be a bit different than how we perceive earthly joy. Because Nehemiah chapter 10, or 8 verse 10, it says this. Do not grieve. Now, we all agree that at the cross, that was a moment of great grief upon, for Christ. I think so. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, kingdom joy actually produces Something different than like, bubbling happiness. Kingdom joy in the midst of grief produces strength. That's what kingdom joy looks like in the moment of the trial. It looks like this, this strength that came out of nowhere because it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So he kind of redefines it. He says, you want to know what the joy of the Lord's going to look like in the midst of your grief and in your pain? It's going to be this bizarre amount of strength that you have in the moment. That's actually the joy of the Lord in the midst of the trial. I think that's a good point. If I had the come on button, I'd press it and be like, come on. So I, I just think, I think kingdom joy produces uh, different things in us in different seasons, but it's still kingdom joy. In the trial, kingdom joy is experienced as strength. After the trial, kingdom joy is experienced of maybe what we often think of as joy, kind of this vibrant happiness in the soul. But I think they're all aspects of actually kingdom joy, his joy. Um, and it's supposed to lead us through everything that we face. Just like Christ, it led him through the most difficult season in his life, the cross. But joy becomes strength in the trial, and we experience joy in kind of the kingdom fruit or the outcome that's produced after the trial. So if Christ is our model, what's the joy that was set before Christ? It said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What what was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross? What's what's the, another way of asking, what's the light at the end of the tunnel that Christ was focused on while he was facing the cross? Well, he answers it in the next verse. He says, it was sitting down at the right hand of the Father, sitting down beside him, beside the throne of God. It's the eternal or kingdom perspective that Jesus carries to make it through the, the moment of pain that he's facing. It's, the, it's an end game mindset. 
end game of what's produced for all of eternity as a result of going of the trial that you face and that you go through. That's the joy that was set before him. Any of you guys seen the, seen the movie Endgame? Marvel's Endgame? Oh man, I'm in the wrong <laughs> setting. First service too. Now, all right, so let me just be a total spoiler. I'm going to give away all the ending to Spider-Man. Ah, I was just waiting. I was like, surely this is going to bring out the real Marvel people right now. I won't do that. I'm not going to do that to you. No, but if you saw the movie Endgame, as, as I talk about it, you're going to be like, that's why I haven't watched it. Okay, so Doctor Strange, he has the time stone. I know. It just gets sillier and sillier. And, and he goes, he's like able to see forward in time and see like all the possible outcomes to this big battle, ultimately. And he's like, I've seen all the possible outcomes and there's one outcome. He keeps kind of raising this finger and saying there's one outcome. It's the end game that we want to make it to where we come out victorious. He just keeps going like this. There's one outcome. That's the end game. And the truth is all these heroes are going to kind of come together and they're going to have trials, they're going to have loss, but it's worth it to make it to the end game. That's their whole point. They've got to make it to that end game where they win. In the kingdom perspective, we will face trials, we will face loss in our lives, but it is worth it to get to the end game. Christ endured the cross because he kept his eyes fixed on the end game which was eternity. It was what he would get for going through the cross, which was a restored relationship with humanity that, that literally yours and, and, and my life was in the balance. And he goes, that's an eternal win from going through this. And then from his own personal reward perspective, also then sitting down beside the right hand of, of the Father. But he'll go through the trial for the end game. And you and I, we don't know exactly what we're going to go through in our lives, but we do know what's being produced when we live surrendered lives to God. And that's something that is good and something that is eternal. It's a, it's a big deal. It is. For the joy set before him, eternal, he endured the cross. He, he, he did it with this eternal end game mindset. The eternal game, or the eternal end game, that mindset defines him. He could face his present pain because of the kingdom future fruit that was being produced. And you and I, in the same way, you can either focus on your present pain or you can focus on the future fruit that's being produced from it. You, you can. This is how Jesus made it through the cross. He goes, I'm going to focus on the future kingdom fruit. Present pain, future fruit, which you're going to look at. And he chose, he said, I'm going to actually reach into, huh, I'm, going to, I'm going to access this thing called kingdom joy by focusing on the future fruit that's being produced through the, from this moment in time that I'm going through. Have you ever heard the phrase, that, um, this individual is so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good? Some of you are like, yes, that's them. <laughs> there was a lady in my, uh, back when I lived in Joliet, Illinois, and every time she talked, she was always talking about heaven. She was always talking about God. And she was one of these people that I'm like, I think you're kind of so heavenly minded. You're of no earthly good. Like, just not like relevant to anyone you're talking to. And, um, but I'll, if I can just be really honest, I've come to have a total shift in my mindset around that statement and around the perspective. I actually now believe 
that you are of greatest earthly good the more heavenly-minded you are. You, you might disagree with me, but Jesus is my model. And Jesus, for the joy set before him, what was that? Heavenly-minded. Endured the cross. What was that? Greatest earthly good. Right? He was heavenly-minded, and that heavenly-mindedness produced his greatest earthly good. Now, I know this is not a, a, an actual word, but I'm going to use it. The cross was gooder <laughs> than every healing he ever produced. You would think the healings are great, right? You know, the cross was gooder. The, every demon he cast out, the cross was gooder than every demon he cast out. The cross was gooder then, I know you're getting like, some of you English teachers are like, this, this is horrible. <laughs> the cross was gooder than every person uh, he restored and every person he fed and, and everything, everything in his earthly ministry. The cross was his greatest earthly good and he went, and the thing that got him through it was being heavenly minded. And so I start to kind of repositioned my heart saying, I think the more my heart is anchored in heaven, probably the greatest earthly good I bring. Here's how Paul said it when he was writing to the church in Corinth, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, uh, them all being the momentary troubles, the troubles of this world. But he goes, it's achieving for us an eternal glory. That's the heavenly-minded, that's the joy that's being produced. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, the earthly stuff, your present pain, but on what is unseen, future fruit. Uh, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And when Paul is writing this, the great thing about this is he says, for our light and momentary troubles. You want to know what was happening in the church in Corinth when Paul's writing this? Christians are suffering right now. And I'm not just talking like, man, we're struggling to make ends meet. Uh, oh boy, we're struggling to find water or food or work. No, people are suffering for their faith. They're being beaten for their faith. They are dying for their faith. And Paul says, hey, our light and momentary troubles. I'm not going to lie. That sounds like a little bit more than light and momentary troubles. But he goes, in comparison with eternity and the eternal glory that is being produced, it just far outweighs these light and momentary troubles. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, what is our true light and momentary troubles in our lives, we get kind of a different perspective when he's writing to people who are dying for their faith. Here's what happens in my house, and it, seems, it gets blown out of proportion. It is truly light and momentary troubles that it's, it sounds like, at least when people come to me, like the world is falling apart, and it's when the Wi-Fi goes down. Like, I've got a dozen kids, and that's more than I have in my house. It's what it feels like, at least. And they're just coming out of the woodwork. They're like, the Wi-Fi sound, the Wi-Fi sound. I'm like, guys, it's okay. We're resetting the router, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but to, in our culture, we're just like, it's like we can't, you know, I, I, we did a series a handful of years ago called uh, uh, First World Problems, and we just totally, I was totally digging on all of the things that we consider to be problems that are not, I, you know, the why, I, how do I live without my Wi-Fi? And where's my phone? It's so cold in here. It's 69 degrees. <laughs> People were dying for their faith. And he says, 
These are light and momentary compared to what's being achieved for us as an eternal glory. It's an eternal glory. It far outweighs everything that you think is weighing you down right now. Paul's trying to help them kind of see the troubles that they face here are achieving this thing called eternal glory. And they face some really difficult times. I am aware that some of you are facing some really difficult seasons in your life. But if I could just speak something over you, it's, I really believe this. God will never waste a trial. When you surrender it to him, he will produce something of eternal significance through it. Let me say it again, because I think it's really important. God will never waste a trial. When you surrender it to him, he will produce something of eternal significance through it. And then in Hebrews, back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, that final verse that we had read, he basically says, Jesus is the model, now do the same thing that Jesus did. It says, consider him, consider Christ, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you and I will not grow weary or lose heart. So when we face trial, when we face opposition, we look at Christ, and it reminds us that we can do this too. Consider him who endured such oppositions, and what did he do? The previous verse, he considered it joy for the joy, or he, he faced the cross for the joy set before him, the eternal thing that was being produced, aka, this is the model of how we utilize joy to make it through our trials. Can we, like Christ, live for the joy that is set before you? Because there is a joy set before you. And and allow kingdom joy to produce something in you, both here and now, and something for the future. It will be different in each season. In the midst of the trial, it will probably be joy, kingdom joy will be uh, seen as strength. And after the trial, it's this joy anchored in eternal reward. But can we be, maybe, can we be so heavenly minded that we actually are of some earthly good? If I can leave you just with one well-known verse. I want to go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and it says this. And we know that in all things, say all things. things. It's whatever you're going through. God works for the good, say good. good. Of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He is all things. No matter what you're facing in your life. The surrendered life to the will of God, he will produce something of kingdom significance through it. Even though you may not see it in the moment, it may not feel good in the moment, he's producing something that is good. He is. Uh, you know, this past week, I know this might be a, a, a poor illustration, but this past week we did a toy purge at our house. It's preparation for Christmas. <laughs> but at some point, every, well, actually we do this almost annually where we recognize we just, it's just time to thin the herd of all these toys. But here's the deal. At my house, there, it will be almost, could be every day, walk down to the basement and the basement's destroyed and there's just toys everywhere. And it's usually uh, really two kids' fault. <laughs> Out of my nine, it's those two. It's the seven-year-old and the eight-year-old. They're the two responsible. The problem is there's so many of their toys that they just dump out bins, and then it all mixes together. It becomes this big stew of toys down in the basement, and it's everywhere. And then I send them downstairs, the seven-year-old and the eight-year-old, 
downstairs to clean the basement, and they walk downstairs, and they're immediately overwhelmed. And fairly so, because they're seven and they're eight, and they look at this, and I just told them, clean up the largest mess of toys that overwhelms me as an adult. You go. Like, of course it's not going to be easy for them. Of course they're going to be overwhelmed. And of course they're just going to be down there doing snow angels in the toys. <laughs> and not cleaning it at all. And so we do this regularly, at least annually, where we're like, all right, guys, we're going to go through all the toys and you're going to give away half. You're going to create sets, you know, let's put them all together. And uh, you find the ones that you no longer really play with. You just do snow angels at, at this point. Let's, uh, let's find the ones that you don't really like or you've outgrown them or whatever. Or, or even the ones you love, but you'd love to bless someone else with them. And so then we put together all these toys and then we, and then we bin up a, a bunch and we organize it. And now they have like half the number of toys. And there's peace. Peace in the house. Now here's the deal. On the day that we do the purge, the kids are not happy. In the moment... I'm asking them to give away some of the things that they've loved or some of the things that are meaningful to them. But I'm also most concerned about, I'm thinking about them for the day after when I send them downstairs to clean up the basement and they walk down there and they're like, I can do this. And they're not overwhelmed and they're successful. See, as a parent, I lead them through that moment for their good. And God will allow us to go through things and sometimes lead us through some things that are sometimes very difficult for us to face but he goes, I'm doing this for your good. And I don't know what you're facing right now in life, but when you surrender it to him, he will produce something of eternal significance and good through it. The surrendered life to the will of God will produce kingdom good. And I know that there are real trials right now uh, going on in some of your lives, both here in the room and those watching online. Maybe you've got a, a health trial. There might be someone watching right now from a hospital bed or a hospital room. You're like, God, where are you in the midst of this? How is this good? And I, I just keep reminding my heart. I keep renewing my mind and my heart around just the word of God and saying, I just know he's producing something of such eternal glory that far outweighs what I'm facing right now. Maybe this Christmas you're facing Christmas without a family member who's always been there, or a friend, and you're facing it with loss. Maybe you've got financial trials or relational trials, but God will never waste that trial. And I just want to declare this over you, and then in turn, my prayer for you is that you would declare it over you. Romans chapter 8, this simple verse that you'll believe it and say that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That you look over your situation and say, I know that God, that in all things, in what I'm facing right now, God is going to use this for good. I may not see it. I may not fully experience it, but I know he's using it for good and for glory that far outweighs our earthly trials that we face right now. How does it impact whatever you're going through if you know that there's a, a great eternal good that will come from this moment in time? There's a kingdom joy that's always within reach. I believe it's for you right now. It might be experienced in the form of strength. Or it might be someday the eternal reward. But there is kingdom joy. And I know that Jesus fixed his eyes on it to go through his most difficult trials. And we 
should fix our eyes on it right now as well. Why don't you stand with me and we'll close here in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, the reality that your son modeled this kingdom commodity of joy in a way that um, probably never any of us could even imagine. But through the joy set before him, he endured the most horrific moment of his life. I believe kingdom joy filled him in the form of strength. Lord, there might be people in this room that right now they would just say, God, I choose joy. Like we sang about in that song, choose joy. I choose joy. God, would the joy of the Lord be my strength right now? And I declare over the lives of everyone here. Maybe you just declare it over your situation that God uses all things for the good of those who love Him. So maybe you surrender this situation, whatever you're facing this year that might be difficult. Say, God, I believe that all things in this situation lands in that category of all things, but you're going to produce something of great eternal significance as a result my heart to joy. Pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.